Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're finishing up this series as we've been looking at the values we hold as a church. And these are not just aspirational values. These are values that we as a family want to live out, values that we want to hopefully encourage you to apply to your own lives. And so as we kind of summarize things today, uh, hopefully you can see areas in your life where these values can make an impact, not just to add new things into your life, but to draw you closer to Christ. I mean, the goal of our church is not to keep you busy Not to just add new information, but for us together to walk with Jesus. We need to be Jesus followers in this world more than we need to be anything else to follow after him, to love him, to be with him. And then over time, as God works through us, we start to become like him. And so I want to show you, just go back to that first uh, slide that captures all of those five values, if you would. There it is. We started with an invitation. An invitation is God's invitation to us, that Jesus became flesh. And why did he do that? I mean, God could have sent a message, but instead what God sent was a person, someone we can relate to, someone who is tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. That Just as we need the grace of God, we realize that the invitation God's given us is an invitation he wants us to bring to the world. You know, and the people that are outside of this room, outside of Christ, I don't know if you realize this, they're human. And they have the same needs that you have. They're not very different from you. They get lonely. They have fear. They have challenges and anxieties. And see, what you're doing is you're walking with Christ through those challenges, fears, and anxieties, and you have a testimony of what God's doing in your life as you're following him that you get to now share with the world as you love the world and listen to them. Jesus listened to the people that were in his life, and we likewise need to go out into the world to listen and to connect the life of God that's in us to the people around us. That's it. It's an invitation, but it's not just an invitation, it's a transformation, that God wants to change us, that his goal is to transform us into the likeness or the image of Jesus Christ. Now, that happens through a relationship with God, that God invites us to know him, and in knowing him, he knows us, and then he knows what we need, and he invites us through life, I don't know if you realize this, to challenge us through the experiences of life. And those experiences expose what you need. And often we try to medicate that. We try to take care of it in our own strength. Instead, he's saying, come to me. I want to be your helper. I want to be your strength. I want to be your wisdom. And so transformation happens as we we come to Christ. And the next thing we need is revelation, that we need to know this God who loves us and has pursued us. And so we need scripture And the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to speak to us. If you listen, do we spend time listening to God? I imagine there's in this room questions. Questions about life, challenges, about what God is doing. And often what he will do is as we get into his word and as we study it, and then as we go about our day, 
And we find ourselves in those moments where we're trying to listen to God. He will bring back to our mind thoughts about who he is, about his promises to us. We need to have scripture, and then we need each other. There's no such thing as a disciple who's alone because you have an enemy, and he's called a lion. Lions love to see their prey alone. And you wonder why you're struggling. You could be struggling because you're isolated. And if we're not in community with one another, how can we possibly follow Christ if people don't know our sin? I think two of the most ignored passages in the Bible, confess your sins to each other. How's that going? But you know what's so important? Carry each other's burdens. Those two go together. When somebody shares a sin they're struggling with, it's not judgment, it's caring. How can I carry that temptation with you and take it to Christ? And then finally today, what does it look like to live on mission? What does it look like for us to take this message God's given us, which is not just a message, it's a ministry, and bring that ministry out into the world? Well, let's jump into what that that looks like. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, Paul is talking about this ministry God's given you. And here's what's shocking, is we were enemies of God. That's what scripture says. I was in rebellion. I wanted nothing to do with God. You know, it says in, in Romans, there's no one good, no one who does what is good, no one righteous. We've all turned away. And yet God entrusts to those who are enemies this valuable gift of reconciling the world to himself. And why? Because you have a testimony of being reconciled. You know what it's like to be far from God. And you know what it's like to be in rebellion against God. And you can share that ministry and that message of reconciliation to the world. So let's jump into it. 2 Corinthians 5. We'll pick it up in verse 11. The word of the Lord. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's also known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you, uh, not giving you a cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live themselves, but for him who died, for for him who for their sakes died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be 
reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you, and would you pray for me? Father, I thank you for this space that we set aside. Um, you do beautiful things when your family comes together and we acknowledge that we need you. And Father, I acknowledge I need you. We acknowledge we need you. So would you, would you reveal truth to us, Father? I know there's areas in each one of our lives where we feel disqualified or unqualified to carry this message of salvation of the world because we see our sin and our brokenness and our failures, but you, Father, see the righteousness of Christ in us. You see us as beloved children. You speak words over us, not of condemnation, but instead words that lift and empower. And so help us, Father, to see you clearly and in that place to know how you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 14, what controlled Paul's life? What compelled him? You know, to go out to the world, a world that's going to reject him. Jesus said, as they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's not a great invitation. As they persecuted me, they persecuted you. That could create a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. We carry a message that is a message of good news, and yet it's also confrontational. And so how do we move out into the world? In fear, anxiety, in pride, in arrogance? Paul says the motivation that we move out into the world is essential. Because see, if the words we speak are right, but the motivation is wrong, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong to the world. Because see, love, if love is love and the gospel is the truth, it has to be the truth, not just in your words, but also in your life. What made Jesus compelling? It wasn't just his truth. No, his truth was essential. But his truth was congruent with his life. And what is the truth that God wants to reveal through you? That you need him. Not that you have it together. Amen. We can go home. You need him. The world needs to see that you need him and that you have rebellion and Christ is the one that is addressing the rebellion and the sin in your own life. And so it was the love of Christ, verse 14, that compelled him. And we love to talk about the things we love. I mean, don't we? If there's something you love, if there is a team you love, if there is a child you love, my son is graduating this week, so I love him and I'm talking about him. Because we talk about what we love, and Paul loved Jesus, and that love for Jesus caused him to go into the world and talk about Jesus. And what was the message that he, he spoke? If you go back in verse 14, for Christ's love, the love of Christ, for us and for him compels us, controls us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, that in Christ all have died. We find our identity in him. And he died for all that those who live, notice, wouldn't live for themselves, but for him. The one who gave his life for us and was raised again. A major stepping point in our discipleship is just simply putting God first. 
And really, most of the New Testament is saying that in about 100 different ways. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To find life, you have to lose it. But if you lose life for my sake, you will find it. Galatians, everybody loves Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. What's he saying? Put God first. You cannot serve both God and money. Most of discipleship in our life is just saying, okay, you're God. You're God. And I want to surrender myself to you. And in that place of submission to God, what's the role he's called us to do? What's the, what's the path he wants us to take? This is verse 20. And really, we're going to spend most of our time unpacking what this idea is that we are ambassadors for Christ. So he says in verse 20, therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Because we've trusted in him and experienced reconciliation, you can now go talk about reconciliation. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. And he's talking, really, it's interesting, he's actually talking to a church. Do you realize the first application of this is Paul to the church. He's saying to us, be reconciled. There's areas in your life where you want to be an individual instead of a disciple. I've got those. And he's telling us, you're not just your own. You were bought with a price. And therefore, the purpose of your life is not just to fulfill your dreams. Now, God is going to give you dreams. He's going to put dreams in your heart to fulfill as he works through you and, and in you. But instead, we're called to this great ministry, the opportunity of bringing the gospel both in word but also in deed. And he goes on, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the message. For God made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let's sit on that idea of ambassadors. Now, what is an ambassador? Now, first of all, an ambassador tends to live in another country as a representative of his state. Or you could say, in this case, an ambassador lives in a foreign country as a representative of King Jesus. Where do you live? As an ambassador, you're in a foreign country. Paul says in Philippians, Philippians 3.20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, when you're a citizen, you carry the culture of your hometown, right? Your nation, the laws of your nation, the values of your nation, those are first. So when you're a citizen of heaven, you're coming to, in some ways, to live out the culture of heaven on earth. Have you ever prayed that? On earth, as it is in heaven. That's what a citizen does of heaven. We live by those values, and from it, we're awaiting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you live in a foreign land. Because the values of this land are not the values of King Jesus. And my first identity is not to my country. Now, I love the country I live in. I prefer the country I live in. But my identity is not an American Christian. My identity is a disciple of Christ. And my allegiance is to Christ. And my values are to Christ. And sometimes, realize this, when you live for Christ... It may not be the best thing for your nation. I don't know if you get that. Often we want both. We want to prosper our nation in the way that we think it needs to prosper, and we want to live for Christ. But when you give your life to another kingdom, those people will persecute you. Why was the early church persecuted? Because they said, Jesus is Lord. 
I will not bow to any other sovereign or any other God or any other allegiance, but the allegiance of Christ because my values come from him, my focus, my worship, my devotion, my life belongs to him. We are citizens of heaven. And so how do we live in this foreign land? Jeremiah helps us to see what that ambassador looks like. Jeremiah 29.7. Now realize in Jeremiah, the Israelites were being persecuted by the city in which they lived. They were hated. They were condemned. They were the outcast, right? They weren't being treated well. They weren't getting promotions because of Jesus. In fact, they're getting demotions. And notice how they're supposed to approach those that persecute them, those that hate them. But seek the welfare of the city. Now, what city? The city that condemns you, the city that hates you, the city that casts you out. That seems backwards. Where I have sent you, you're in this place. And if you're in that place of persecution, you're in that place of work, you're in that relationship, you're in that family because Christ has sent you there into exile. So pray to the Lord on its behalf. And how should we work in that city? For its welfare. For in its welfare, you find your welfare. We bless the people who persecute us. How do we overcome evil? Just by adding more evil on top. How do we overcome evil? By being a bigger jerk. Or by getting a bigger bully to beat up the other bullies. Guys, we've been doing that for thousands of years. It's not good news. How do we overcome evil? Through good. And that Jesus sacrificed himself. So what is an ambassador? If you can put that slide up. What does an ambassador represent? He represents King Jesus. The values of the kingdom of God and the gospel. Now, how do we do that? Just, just quickly, I think there's three ways that are really important. And Paul touches on them. Because he talks about the message of reconciliation. But did you notice there's also a ministry? That if you've been reconciled to God, you have this gift that you are now right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. He took your sin. He died on the cross, rose again, so that we might be forgiven and have life in Christ. You've been reconciled. And when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, how does it show up? How should it show up? In, in a life of reconciliation, you love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are connected. And so we have the message of God, but we have the methods of God. And when the message of God is disconnected from the methods of God and the character of God, the message of God is not the message of God. It becomes distorted. And so what does that look like? Realize in the business that you're in, in the family that you, you're in, you are the king, Jesus. You are his mouthpiece. Now, not just to proclaim the gospel, but to listen to the Lord. What does this person need to hear? You know what I start off in most of my relationship? Here's what I think you need to hear. Here's what I want to say. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. As an ambassador, every place that you are, God wants to speak through you. Do you realize that? That is part of his mission, and he's given you this Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To remind you of everything Jesus taught. Now, if you're not, we talked about last week, moving at three miles an hour. And if you didn't hear that, go back to last week and you'll get it. You're not going to hear King Jesus speak. And you know, he loves to speak through you. And in every situation in life, in every relationship, in your neighborhood. Now, you see your neighbors and you see the ways that you conflict with them, but you hear what God thinks about them. What do they need to hear? And as an ambassador, that's how we move out into the world. 
Not what I want to tell you and not what I think you need to hear, but what does King Jesus say? I am that vehicle through which God wants to speak, both to bring the gospel but also to affirm people, to speak into their life, to identify with them. But then second, we have the methods of Jesus. What are the methods of Jesus? Read the Gospels. Are you shocked by Jesus' behavior in a good way? I am. Jonah preached on the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, often in this world, we see sexual sins. We say, you're just an abomination. Do you see that in Christ? Does he label people according to their sin? No. What did he see? A woman who was enslaved. And a woman who was being abused. A woman who was being used by religious people to condemn Jesus. They did not, he did not see men who loved her. He saw a woman who was enslaved by sin and enslaved by her culture. He set her free both from sin but also the oppression of a culture that says you are to be used, you are to be abused, and you are worthless. Jesus gave her an identity, value, and worth. You study the life of Jesus and you notice the way he encountered people. Where did he turn over tables? Some of us say, hey, we need to get angry today, right? But can I be honest, where did those tables get turned over? Kind of in a church. <laughs> the people who are supposed to represent me. We're so angry at the world that doesn't claim to represent God, but we don't recognize that God is saying, you have the words of eternal life. I've trusted you with them. And when we misrepresent God, we misrepresent his method in the world. And what's God's character? I mean, just look at the life of Jesus. I came not to be served. How did he reveal the values of his kingdom through service? I lay down my life for my enemies. I'm generous towards those who reject me. I show hospitality to people who we would not be hospitable to, hospitable to. Do you know the story of the woman at the well? You know she was a Samaritan? She's of the wrong political party. She is a heretic. Do you know that for the Jews? The disciples see Jesus speaking with this Samaritan woman who is a heretic theologically and really opposed to them geopolitically. And how, how does Jesus approach her? He identifies with her. He identifies with what she's doing. She's drawing water. He speaks to her. He loves her. He speaks into his, her life. He speaks truth. He knows about her. And her life has changed. Because Jesus doesn't look at us through labels the world puts on us. Did you notice he said, we don't see as the world sees? How many of us just see people through labels? You will never love somebody when you put a label on their life. It's a means of casting them off as worthless. In church, we need to let go of the woke labels, the liberal labels, the conservative labels. There are issues in that that are important. That's not who they are, and it's not how God sees them. How dare we see them that way? It removes our identity as ambassadors. Do you see that? I cannot be an ambassador to someone for God's kingdom when I'm always seeing them through the lens of the kingdom in which I live. That's an ambassador. So here's where I want to land. Now we're going to go back to the passage, okay? Because this week, as I was studying this, I was kind of confused about where I was going. The staff know this. 
as I often am. And what I started seeing is what are the things that are keeping me from engaging the mission God's given us? And I wonder if the things that are keeping me from engaging that mission are the things that are keeping you. And so the question I want to ask is, how does the gospel set us free to live for the gospel? How does the gospel actually set us free to live for the gospel? So let's jump back in. If you look at the passage we were in, and there's a number of areas. You go to that next slide. There are five areas we're going to look at quickly is fear. Fear keeps me from living for God. Self-righteousness, my self-righteousness, my pride. Apathy, insecurity. Now, first of all, fear. Verse 11. Notice what he says. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Now, the therefore, and we can't get into it, refers to everything that comes before. And he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. That God alone has the right to judge. I do not. And God is my judge. And therefore, I fear the Lord. Now, There's a challenge in Scripture because it says, you know, isn't the greatest commandment to love the Lord, not fear the Lord? And so how does it, how does that balance? Have you ever struggled with that? It's like I'm supposed to fear the Lord and love the Lord, and how can you love something you fear? But the word fear is not just abject terror. It's the idea of reverence and holy awe. Now, here's how that applies to me. Here's a way to see it. Do you know about the James Webb Telescope? You've seen those images? Wow. Here's some of those images that come from the James Webb Telescope. Now that looks fake to me. It looks fake. That's, I don't know what that is. That's something, space. And when I look at that and I think about what that is, that's violent. I I can't live here. Look at this next, next image. When I see this and I think about the vastness of space and the distance of these galaxies, I feel insignificant, small, and finite. I feel that in creation. How much more would we feel that in the presence of the God who breathed this out with his very words? In God's presence, there is a sense in which I feel insignificant, finite, I'm dust. And I'm in the presence of the guy, the God who created that. That's fear. But here's the beauty. Is in that state of insignificance, he says, he moves towards us, doesn't he? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to love you. And he draws near to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we sing about this all the time. We sing about this paradox of fearing God and loving God. It's, It's in one of the songs that you love. Amazing grace. Have you ever noticed this phrase? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. But it was grace, my fears relieved. Which one is it? Grace shows me the depths of God's holiness and the greatness of my sin, but it also draws me in to the creator God who I'm supposed to call Father. Do you feel the weight of that? See, we have a struggle fearing God, but we have no problem fearing the people out there. We easily fear men, and we allow our behavior and attitudes to be influenced by the fear of others. Paul is saying, when we understand the character of God, we do not fear men, because what can they do to us? God is the one who gives us the verdict that we are righteous in his sight. And so why do we carry so much weight in the opinions of others? We have to look to who he is. 
See, what happens is the gospel overcomes the fear of man. But second, the gospel also overcomes this guy, self-righteousness, me. Watch this in verse 16. From now on, therefore, I regard no one according to the flesh, meaning I don't see people by labels of this kingdom, this world. I don't judge people according to the world. Even though I once regarded Christ that way, meaning I thought what Christ was foolish, I thought he was insignificant, I thought he was blasphemy. But we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone, I don't know if you know that word anyone means anyone, everyone, who is the gospel available to? Just the obedient? Just the ones I label as good? For God so loved the world. You know, the world is the rebellious world that hung him on the cross. Everyone is a new creation. Anyone that responds to Christ, the old has gone away, the new has come. I sometimes see people and I think they'll never respond. Have you ever done that? I know their politics. So we start putting, we see people through the lens. Remember, he says, don't see people according to the flesh. Stop labeling them. Start trusting that God can take anyone and transform them. The Samaritan woman, disciples would never have talked to her. Jesus approaches her and she's changed. Who are the people, because of our own labels and self-righteousness, we would never share the gospel with because you know how they're gonna respond. I got those people. Listen, hopefully you're with me on this. I'm not the only one that's judgmental. But we judge, don't we? The gospel removes self-righteousness because God's changed us. And if he can change us, he can change anyone. He can change Paul an enemy of the gospel. There's no one beyond the reach of the gospel. It takes away our fear. It takes away our judgment. But look, it also takes away my pride. Verse 18. And see, all this is from God, who through Christ, meaning the gospel through what Jesus did, reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciling other people to God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting this is good news. God doesn't count your sins against you, but entrust to us the message of reconciliation. You know, pride shows up in a number of different ways. One of the ways it shows up in my life is I think the perfect sermon will save people. <laughs> in seminary, I used to think if I just get my theology right, if I could just argue right, if I could just, and I don't know if you know that, I memorize a lot of books of the Bible because if I can memorize all the books of the Bible, then I can be a perfect pastor and overcome the evil of the world and triumph for Jesus. And... <laughs> but here's the problem. It was all about me. And what God has to do is he's got to humble you to get you to a place where it's all about him. One of the stories where God humbled me was in another country, Estonia. I was discipled through a ministry. It's called Crew Today. It was known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And this guy knocked on my dorm room. Hey, do you want to talk about Jesus? Okay. And so for two years, he spoke into my life. And I just learned about Jesus. He said, hey, do you want to go to Estonia? I don't even know where that is. Okay. 
And he taught me how to share the gospel, how to disciple people. And before I went, one of the things I did was I read like, have you Mere Christianity, Case for Christ, Josh McDowell. I listened to every message he had. I had cassette tapes, remember those? And you kind of like put them in a thing and turned them over and all that. And I was listening to every apologetic tape and I had all these things about science and, and all this to prove. God exists and it's Jesus. And I was going to Estonia to triumph. And listen, I had a lot of great conversations there. It was fun. It was, it was interesting. No one came to faith through my arguments. I'm not saying God didn't use that, but I want to show you a picture of the guy who did come to faith. His name is Vladim. Vladim, and that's me, a much younger looking me. And yes, I was a part of fraternity. Don't judge me. I needed friends, so I paid for them. Vladim did not speak English. I knocked on his dorm room. Now, realize, this was the end of the day. We'd already shared the gospel. Everybody hated us. It didn't work. This young guy who was 16 named Dima. He was a Russian citizen living in Estonia, and he was excited. Jason, we're going to go share our faith. And, you know, he's like this, this little chihuahua, right? He's so excited. And I'm like, Dima, we've done this. It, it, I just want, let's go home. He's like, no, let's try it one more time. Okay. So we pray. I knock on this door. Oh my gosh, the door opens, and I've never seen something more frightening than this room. And I'm not going to go into explicit detail, but on the walls were pictures from the ceiling to the walls. And when I, oh my gosh, I can't look anywhere. It was just wall to wall. And we got in there, and I realized he couldn't speak English which was good, so I just, I just closed my eyes. And I was sharing through Dima, and Dima was translating it, and I was told, I'm like, let's get out of here, let's go. And I just said, okay, simple gospel, four spiritual laws, let's get out of here, we're done, right? And then I hear them having a conversation, I'm just doing this, right? And I, I look over, and this guy has his eyes closed, like I do, and I don't think it's for the same reasons. And when we got out of the room, I was like, Dima, what, did, what was that? What were you doing? He was, oh, he just trusted Jesus. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I didn't give my arguments. I have to be perfect for God. No, I, it's the simple gospel. It's, I think it was Dima's faith. He had this simple trust that God was going to move. And for whatever reason, God moved. We have to take away our pride that it's about us. We've got to take away our pride. And we've got to address our apathy because I think it's so easy to be apathetic. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When he says you're an ambassador, here's the challenge in the world we live in is we compartmentalize life. And so I've got my Christian life and I've got the mission of God, right, in this category. And then I've got family life and work life and that's not how God sees things. And what you may be hearing today is you need to add something into your life, which is the mission of God. It's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that you have all these categories in life and you need to add sharing the gospel and serving your neighbor and you're like, I'm already tired. I'm out. Do you feel that apathy? How can I possibly do this? It's not about what you're doing. You need to start with who you are. Why are you on the street you're on? Because God wanted to send an ambassador there. 
That's not the only reason, but it's a major. Why are you in the role you're in? God wanted one of his ambassadors there. Why are you in the family you're in? God wanted his ambassadors there. That sharing the gospel is not an add-on to life. You're always living in this great mission that God has given us. To reconcile the world to himself. And all of life is God using us and speaking. Remember, we speak that message. But are we attuned to who we are and how God wants to work through you? And I think we're so focused on just getting the gospel out that we forget, you know, the gospel's clear when we live the methods and the character as well. And God will show us when that message needs to be spoken. But do you see yourself as someone that God sent out? And here's the last thing, and we'll close with this. One of the reasons we don't is because we think my life's not together, right? Am I the only one? Okay. My, my life's not together, so God can't use me. I've got so much, I've got addiction in my life. God can't use me. My family's a mess. I hardly know the Bible. I don't even know all this stuff. God can't use me. But notice verse 21. For our sake, he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God made Jesus, he gave, put my sin on Jesus so that what I receive from Jesus is his righteousness. The Father sees me through Jesus. And I'm accepted not because I've gotten it right. So why do we think that God can only use us if we're the hero of the story? You know, the greatest thing that, again, the world needs to see is your dependency and need for God. You know where that's going to show up? In your weaknesses. You don't want to boast about those. How do you want the world to come to Christ? Through my strength. But in your strength, they cannot see his strength. What are you boasting in? Am I boasting in the fact that I need him? Am I boasting in the fact, yesterday I had a conversation with a friend. I've got a number of guys in my life where I just confess. They know everything. They know it all. And I was on the phone, and he said, okay, hey, let's do a check-in. I said, all right. And I said, I'm afraid. And he goes, well, why are you afraid? Well, I've got to speak tomorrow. Now, I'm afraid on the one hand because I'm claiming to speak for God, okay? And that should create fear. But I'm afraid because I could be rejected. And we talked about that. Jason, are you trusting in yourself to accomplish, or are you trusting in God? And see, that's what life with God, walking with God is about. It's about taking the realities of life and bringing it to him because the people that are out there have the same problems you have, but you have this Jesus that you can point them to. Do you understand how God wants to work through you? I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in. We want to live in our strengths, which hides the power of God, but instead, he wants to live, us to live in our dependency, which shows the majesty of God. Which one is it, church? We live on mission when we live in dependency as an ambassador who listens, who follows his methods and his character. I don't know what God's throwing up in you, but I'm excited. Because <laughs> God wants to use a rebellious human being like me with all my flaws to take the greatest message into the world, but will we trust him? Hey, this morning, if you didn't grab the communion elements, I want to encourage you to do that. 
They're available up front and also in the back. And here's what we're doing. As we hold those elements, we want to reflect. What, what stirred you? As, you? as you go to this 2 Corinthians 5, do you see yourself as an ambassador? Do you understand your identity? And maybe, like me, you need to confess some fear. Or maybe you need to confess to the Father. My life is so compartmentalized, Jesus, that I put you in a box instead of seeing you as, as my Lord who oversees all of my life. I don't know what God's stirring in you, but as we receive communion, we want to reflect on our brokenness, our sin, and confess our need for the Father. And let's spend that time in reflection and confession so that we might fully celebrate what Christ has done. pray for those that are seeking to be the hero of their story. You say welcome, you, you welcome us to come to you to lay down the burdens of life and to find rest. Father, I pray for those that have never found rest in Jesus Christ through the reconciliation of the gospel. It's here today, be reconciled to God, which means just admit we need him. We are sinful and separated from God, but Jesus has come so that he might receive our sin, that we might, through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, receive the fullness of God, his righteousness, and be made right and reconciled to the Father. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took, he took bread, he broke it, and gave thanks, and he says, take and eat, for this is my body that is broken for you. Receive it together in remembrance of it. same way he took a cup and he said this cup it represents the new covenant the new relationship established through his blood let us receive it 